Good afternoon. Good afternoon, yeah. Oh, that was belty. I like it. That was very belty. That was, that was, that hurt. No, yeah, you to say, um, is that, when's, <laughs> when's your last uh, session practice? I don't know. Um, I, how have you been? Good. You know, I've been doing good since I saw you two days ago. I mean, I'm <laughs> in obviously in Charleston, but I've been, you know, crying myself to sleep because you're not here. But other than that, oh. it's been fine. We had Same. an awesome Easter weekend, enjoyed some time with you and, and your mama coming over and hanging with the kiddos and, and all that. And then this week is only two days away till I dance again. A ballroom dance in front of hundreds of people, which I just love for to the think oxygen about. ball for the American Lung Association. Yes, and that you know what I, our dance. The head of the studio reminded me the other day, as if I needed reminding, but I guess reminded that me. He's like, "This is for," and he's he's Ukrainian, and I'm going to totally botch this. But he's like, "It is for the to save the lives of the people that cannot breathe." And so I said, you're right. It is for people like Todd who went to asthma camp and they yep. need that. Camp puff and stuff. Yes. Call back to listen. Crystal Garrett right there. <laughs> right, exactly. What have exactly. you been up to? Crystal Garrett. Yeah, y'all go listen to that. I traveled, came back here. I have a fitting for a new show I'm going to be a part of out on the high seas called Magic to Do by Stephen Schwartz. And Stephen Schwartz wrote Wicked and he was commissioned to write a new musical for Princess Cruises. So I'm going to still be a fly on act with my own show, but I'm going to be popping in there and I have to go to magic school. He's going to magic so school, that's y'all. Kind of this cool. is like. <laughs> Going to magic school. This is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> it's very exciting. I've been exciting. waiting to tell, tell our listeners because <laughs> we're going to have to have you do some kind of magic at some point. And he will not show me the videos or anything of how to do it. So I'm not allowed. I'm not, I signed a contract. I'm not allowed to, to tell how the, 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 the magic works. But, you would but have I am, an NDA I'm, I'm starting to magic. practice with the cards. It's hard. It's hard. I can like, imagine. Props to the magicians out there because it is difficult and it takes a lot of practice to do what they do to make it look so seamless. So I'm, it's probably going to take me around two to three weeks to actually learn. And we open the show in four weeks. So, you know, we're, we're going to be fine. It's going to yeah. be good. But yeah, other than that, that's that's kind of what I've been focusing on and learning the songs that Mr. Schwartz wrote. Do you do magic and sing at the same time? Correct. Oh my gosh, this is Correct. getting better and better. Is it going to get be recorded? It is, a, it is. If you had told me at 40 years old, <laughs> Todd, you were going to be on a cruise ship doing magic and singing i would have laughed in your face but yeah it's 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 definitely a, a different beat for this sure is the, my literally maybe one of the highlights of my life i'm just telling you see if anything <laughs> you have made one of my dreams come true i think uh, lay and our have already decided that we're coming on one of these cruises because we have to see it in action you must so. you must i will be on the crown princess anybody who wants to come see me from may forward right, here we go go into so, hawaii yeah. and alaska come on Yes, the, that will be predominantly where I am for the next, obviously doing other ships in the meantime. I'll still do my celebrity ships and, uh, and other stuff. But yeah, definitely will be, <laughs> I'll get to know the crown princess very well. Yes. But yeah, let's talk about who we have on the program today, because that is, he is just kind of, I will say we had a great time interviewing him and he is, he's got so much wisdom and he does use a lot of self-deprecating humor, especially in his book that we, that we'll get to. But, but yeah, he was just great. And can you tell, tell the listeners a little bit about who we're going to be interviewing today? Yeah, I definitely will. I think that just so everybody knows, this is, this was delightful for mm -hmm. us. I 
think, because it was a little bit less heavy than a lot of our other ones, but still full of of good advice. So I am delighted to introduce Joe Pardavia. He has produced over 10,000 hours of audio content over the course of his career in podcasting and terrestrial radio. Joe was a radio personality and producer on the legendary New York City radio station 95.5 PLJ, where he was part of the iconic Scott and Todd in the Morning Show. He studied sketch and improv comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade and was a founding member and actor in the New York-based sketch comedy group Clip Show. The group performed at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and the People's Improv Theater, and their video sketches were featured on Funny or Die and the Huffington Post. He is now the co-director, writer, and producer of the award-winning horror satire, The Witches of Bushwick, and currently he serves as the director of podcasts for Advantage Media Group, Forbes Books. So without further ado, I give you Joe Pardavia. Well, welcome to the show, Joe. How are you doing? Laura, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Todd, great to see you. You too, sir. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so excited to have you here today. I'm excited too, because usually, as you guys know, I'm on the other side. I'm the one asking the questions. I'm the one who's got to prepare. I just showed up today. I just sat here in front of my little microphone, and I'm just going to sit here and let you guys ask me questions. (laughs) that's what we're here for and we're excited about it you know after listening to your well we do still want to hear your lovely voice the whole time but you know we we're excited to be the one you know actually in in control right now so i think this is yeah yeah all right Uh, well joe just to start us off can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself where you're from and what made you want to go into the entertainment business Yeah, so Todd, I'm originally from the New York City area, born and raised in New Jersey, currently in Charleston, South Carolina. But as a kid growing up, I was a a family member of Grants. My mom was a Cuban refugee. My dad was a sailor from Spain. And they had two kids here who became real pop culture nerds. Me and my brother love Star Wars, and we love watching TV and playing video games. And I was like, this could be a cool career, being able to know all this stuff and do something with it. But Again, where I am in New Jersey, it's not like my dad is Robert Downey Jr. or Tom Cruise. I didn't know how to even go about going into show business. So I went to college, and that's where I kind of fell in love with radio. Although TV was my first love, when I walked into the TV studio at William Patterson College, uh, they said to me, oh, wait, we don't let freshmen on TV. I'm like, ah, that sucks. So walked down to the uh, other side of the building where the radio station was. And I said, hey, I want to be on the radio. And they said, what time? And that's what started my radio career. Basically, an incredible low barrier of entry into the world of radio <laughs> and decided to go for an internship, interned at a radio station in New York for the sole reason that it was located in Midtown Manhattan, where I can easily take one train ride into because I was scared shitless and didn't want to take a, a subway through Manhattan. And that decision of me being scared poopless led me to a 24 year career working at a radio station in New York for the legendary WPLJ. Which is incredible. I think that that's like one of my favorite stories because just all the things that had to align for that to happen and and the whole story, just kind of the progression that you have throughout that time. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a like background of what it was like working there and how your passion for it continued to develop? Yeah. When I was younger, I had terrible self-awareness. Like I didn't know if like girls like me, I don't know if boys like me, I don't know if I was doing good at, at my job. But at the end of my internship, they, they said, hey, listen, 
we have an opening, an immediate opening. It was summer. Summertime for radio stations is very busy. And like, we think you'd be the perfect candidate for the job. The only problem is you'd have to drop out of school because it's a full-time position. And when you mean full-time in radio, it's not nine to five. It's like nine to nine or nine mm. to one. It's, it's really long days. And I was not super fond of college. I mean, I kind of just did it because that's what we're supposed to do. So decided to take them up on the offer, got the job, and then just slowly but surely started working my way up through the company, started producing a show at night. And then the morning show, which was hosted by Scott and Todd, who people, if they listen in the New York City area, legendary guys, like Scott Shannon is responsible for Z100, like bringing Top 40 Radio back to New York. And they were my mentors. I, I, I always say I didn't go to college, but I went to Scott and Todd school because everything I know about broadcasting came from those two guys. And I was just sort of a sponge working around them. And one of the reasons I excelled with them was talking about my, you know, it was, when we started this conversation, talk about me being this nerdy kid who loved pop culture. They just kept having me around in the studio because I knew stuff. This was before everything was on Google. So whenever like, who was that one guy in that one movie? And I would know who they're talking about. And, and as time progressed, the more and more I was with the show, they didn't allow me to leave the room. Like I had to be with them at all times. <laughs> so I went from being like the phone operator, taking people's phone calls to like being stuck in the, rain, the same studio with these guys for four hours, five days a week. And then, you know, things just kind of took off. I became more of a presence on air, eventually became the executive producer of the morning show and then co-host. And it was just an amazing ride. And it's one of those things where, you know, I talk about my lack of self-awareness. Like I didn't realize how much I was learning because, you know, you guys know how it is when you have this job and it's sort of really stressful. You kind of just put blinders on and you just want to survive. You just want to do well and that's it. But little do you know that you're actually like learning things and becoming a better person. And I just didn't realize until afterwards. Right. And being on air in New York uh, had to have been just such an amazing experience, just what you're talking about. But what I'm really, really curious about is you were on air live when 9-11 was happening, right? Yeah. Can you can you sort of talk of that, about that with us a little bit? Yeah, it was one of those moments that I think anyone who lived in New York will never forget. And for me, we were covering it in real time. So you have to imagine, this is a world before Facebook, before Twitter, where information was coming online, but it was very slow. You know, you have to hit refresh on your browser for the news uh, site to update the news. And <laughs> we <up>. were updating <laughs> people in real time. So to set up the scene, we do our morning show, but we have a big television station tuned in, a, a TV in our room plugged into our local affiliate of Channel 7 WABC. And we always have them on all the time in case we see a, like a big traffic accident, weather event. We just want to be tuned into what's going on. And then all of a sudden, we're doing our show. It was a beautiful day. I remember it was a Tuesday morning. It was like 70 degrees and sunny. It was just a gorgeous September day. And we look up and Channel 7 is cut away to this footage that we've all come to know now of. The one of the Twin Towers, smoke billowing out of it. And we just start talking about it on there. It's just all of us conversing. The weatherman who was on Channel 7 was part of our show as well, and he was a pilot. And it, like 30 seconds into the conversation, we're all sort of saying like, oh my God, who's this idiot who flew their plane accidentally? We didn't even think that you know it was a big airline or anything like that. And our, the weather guy, Bill Evans, says, there's no way that's an accident. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, there's clear day. There's no way a small plane would ever be able to get that close that quickly without someone stopping it. And I'm like, well, that's weird. So we're continuing to talk about it. And then all of a sudden, the second plane hits while we're on the air. 
And we're just we're literally doing the play by play of the worst day on in American history. It was just surreal to be living it. And uh, as I mentioned, no social media, no way for people to get a hold of each other. Cell phones were in their infancy because the grids weren't that powerful. So you couldn't get a phone call out. So people were calling into the radio station all day trying to find family members. They're telling us they're trapped in the uh, one side of the building. They're saying, you know, can, can you put a word out? My, my wife is missing. My husband's missing. And to this day, I'll never forget just the amount of people that sort of just bonded with us at the same time because we were all going through it at the same time. We didn't have family in there, but we were in the midtown Manhattan, just a few miles away from the World Trade Center. And it was frightening as all hell because we got the Empire State Building one block away from us. And they're like, man, that's another target too. And uh, it was just one of those days I'll never forget for the fact that we were just all in it together. And we, as the radio station, were that social media. We were the Facebook. We were the Twitter. We were all that for everyone in that moment in time. How long were you there? I mean, you probably started in the morning and then you were probably there until in, into the evening. Like I can imagine, like in, even up to midnight the next day or, or that evening. Yeah. So what happened was, Todd, we're on from 6 to 10 in the morning. And at the moment that the planes hit, New York went in lockdown. So no trains into city. The tunnels were closed. Bridges were closed. So none of the other personalities could come into the station. So it was just us. So we ended up going on the air at 6 o'clock and then staying on to 8 o'clock that evening, just doing reports, popping in like CNN when, whenever there was a break in the story or something like that. But we were on until 8 o'clock that night. So whatever, whatever it was, 13 hours on the air. And one of the interesting things was you couldn't go anywhere. All the hotels were closed. There was nothing to do. So I ended up sleeping on a friend's couch in the city because there was just I couldn't go back to New Jersey where I was living at the time. And then we just did it all over again the next day. And it's really weird because I was trying to think about this the other day about like when things went back to normal. And I know it was a while because our yeah. show was sort of like, I wouldn't say a, a zany zoo format, but it was very lighthearted. It was family friendly. And for a while, we're like, can we talk about gossip? Can we talk about like a new movie? Can we? It was like, it's, it's such a weird time in history that no one knew how to react. So yeah. our best, the, the way we put our best foot forward was just like, let's just listen to the people. Let's keep the phone lines open. Let people communicate with us. If something breaks, we'll talk about it. But it was just such a strange time to be in media because there was just no way to learn. Like, you know, we couldn't go back to the World War II tapes of Pearl Harbor and like, how did they cover it? Like there was, there is no guidebook for this. So the best we can do is just kind of listen and be there for our audience. Well, I mean, it's kind of in a crazy way, a collective trauma that like, you, you know, the United States kind of was going through simultaneously. Like I remember being in French class and then wielding in a, uh, you know, wheeling in a TV, an old big blocky TV. And we literally watched as the second plane hit. And it was like, I, I remember our teachers just being like, we have no idea what to tell you or what to say. And we actually were let go, like let out early for a half day, just because I think they were like, just go be with your families. Like we don't really even know how to, how to handle this. I kind of feel like that's a good segue to the fact that this podcast, our podcast was kind of created as a result of the collective trauma of the pandemic. Because pandemic, kind of I'm sorry. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, what? well, it's so it's this thing. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, <laughs> but it, it was 
you know, not it, well, a little blip, a little blip in yeah. history. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, we we were just very uh, it kind of enamored in a way with the idea that everybody was going through this at the same time. Nobody really knew what the when it would end, what the outcome would ultimately be, how much this was going to affect everybody, us and and you probably as well were deeply affected in our careers as, you know, Todd's a performer. I own a restaurant and, and run a hospitality business. So everything came to a screeching halt. And so that was, it was, it was a big deal. So we were pretty fascinated to learn that kind of one of your podcasts you end up hosting after you, you left um, radio and went into Advantage Media Group for Forbes Books, that you had hosted one uh, podcast called Uncertain Time, Survive and Thrive in Business. Can you tell us a little bit more about the premise of that podcast and why you decided to create it? Absolutely. And a quick footnote, the reason I'm no longer doing terrestrial radio is because I was fired by Jesus. So oh. the, the radio station we were talking about earlier was sold to a Christian broadcaster mm. and uh, they didn't of want Jesus. us. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so know, weird. I was, I was fired by Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's yes. great. Literally like now that they're playing, you know, Matchbox 20 sing, singing, you know, homilies. I'm not really sure what they play. <laughs> what it um, whatever it is they listen to. Yeah, whatever it is they do. So after the station uh, was blown up, as we like to say in radio, I was looking for new opportunities. And I knew that my like life in terrestrial radio was kind of over at that point because there was far fewer opportunities in radio, especially in New York City. And I'd always been podcasting sort of a, along the side of my professional career because I, I kind of knew what the future was. So I was like, this is probably going to be the way things are going to go in the future. So I was doing that. And when I got advantage for uh, hired at Advantage Forbes Books, my first day was March 9th of 2020. Wow. So, oh, my God. Um, Talk about timing. I mean- yeah. <laughs> my very first day in the office was that day. And the funny thing was, and I like to joke about it now, there's no better time to start a new career in a new city than during a global pandemic. But <laughs> March 9th start, I'm in the office for a couple days. And then that Friday is what I like to call our big super spreader event, because our CEO gathered us all together in a conference oh, no. room to let us know that we would be all working from home starting Monday. Now, I, I just, no one got COVID from that. But looking back at it now to have a meeting to discuss working from home is kind of funny. Yeah. So I was in Charleston, me and my wife, we didn't know a soul here. I just started this new job and, and I was just trying to find what role I could play in this. So as you mentioned, it, my, my company's Advantage Forbes Books were a hybrid publishing company that does books for CEOs, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and I was like, what can I do? Like, there's nothing really I can do during this pandemic. But what, but what I do have is I have a platform working with Advantage Forest Books. So I said, let me do a podcast talking to these entrepreneurs and how they're getting through this pandemic. And so I spoke to folks in pretty much every vertical. You spoke to everyone. I went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> literally everyone. Well, Todd, I was just trying to think of like, what vertical is out there that, that's affected by this? And obviously- all of them are, but I was yeah. just trying to see what I could do that could help folks, regardless what industry that they're in, would be helpful to them. And it was just great being able to hear ideas. And just, I think one of the things that I remember most about doing that, and I did it for like over a year, was just the optimism in people. Like people were like, F that. Like we're going to find a way to get through this. It sucks now. People are going to lose their jobs. It's going to get really tight, but we're going to find a way. And that was one of the things that I was really surprised about because I'm, as you can tell, I'm like a sarcastic New Yorker. So like we always see the worst in everything, but it was so wonderful to see the best 
in everyone during that time. Do well, you think, it, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you think part of it was, I don't know how many people in Charleston locally that you interviewed, but I, I could imagine it was a little bit of a culture shock just being down here in general. With, oh, yeah. I mean, it's total culture shock. From New York? Yeah. Yeah. People just smiling and you're like, what? what, what is it? <laughs> What do you, is something wrong with me? In your talks, uh, piggybacking on that, what you just talked about, in your talks with CEOs and business owners uh, on that podcast, and it's called Uncertain Times, everybody, for if you're listening, what are your biggest takeaways from those interviews you did with everyone, with all of C- CEOs? What was there, was there a common thread? Yeah. Well, it, one of the things that was common, and now we're probably sick of the word, but it's pivoting. From day one, all of, I mean, now we kind of laugh and we go, oh, pivot, Jesus, I've heard that word so many times. And I, and I did, trust me, I did. I apologize for anyone else listening to this right now. I've heard it more than you did. And one of the <laughs> things that was fascinating to me was just people pivoting before it was even a thing people knew what to do. They were like, okay, this part of our business isn't going to work. What else is going to work? Now, now the, the word is pivoting, but they were just all trying to find whatever they did would fit in this new normal. I remember that you were talking to oh, her name is escaping me. Uh, she she was head of a company that like placed uh, people went was kind of like an Airbnb situation, but it was I forgot what it was. But, but you said, how are you going to pivot? Because the whole premise of their business was allowing strangers to come into their homes. Mm. <laughs> so it was like, but I remember you talking about <laughs> and a lot of times there were a lot of situations like that where it was like, there's no way. And what people literally did was they pivoted the whole business. They turned it into something else, which was fascinating to me. And, and in a way, I almost wanted to treat a, that podcast as a, as a therapy session for, for mm. a lot of these individuals, because many people, as you know, business owners, freelancers, you are on your own island. And there's yeah. only so few you could speak to, like even in your own family, like oh, they don't yeah. get it sometimes. And I, I, I just kind of felt like as a sounding board, because one of the things that I know how to do well, my skill set's very limited. But I can listen and react to people telling their story. And that was my, my big thing. I was like, if anything, the one takeaway I want from the folks that are in the actual podcast space talking to me is I want to make them feel better by the end of the conversation. And 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 hopefully I did most of the time. And But I think a lot of it was just them just being able to get a lot of the stuff off their chest and talking to someone who could understand and be empathetic to what they're going through. And at the same time, reached out the across the aisle to other folks, whether it's competitors or people in disparate industries who are going through the same thing. Yeah, that was actually a really important thing that, you know, I own a restaurant downtown, downtown Charleston. And of course, the first week, we're just kind of like sitting in, in this empty, these empty dining rooms being like, how on earth, like we have to now become a, a fast food restaurant. Like how else are we going to like, we have to have like a window because how else are we going to do this? And luckily they did kind of adjust some of the rules and let us sell alcohol out of our parking lots and stuff like that. But we actually came up with a, um, like a restaurant association so that we could all have all these owners of, of different restaurants and bars around Charleston could all get on a zoom together and be like, you know, cause we, it was really uncertain, like literally of what we were supposed to do. And even count the Charleston County was like, you know, we don't really know yet what you're supposed to be doing, but when we see something we don't like, we're going to let you know. 
Mm. And we were like, oh, great, this is fun. So we're just, you know, out here flying blind. And and that was like one of the things that kept us sane was to be able to be like, okay, let's all have a game plan so we can at least say that we all did this together. And and to kind of hold each other accountable, but also vent. And I think that was a very important thing. So, you know, thank you for doing that for people because it was a very hopeless feeling time, especially in, in our industry, for sure. And Laura, isn't it weird, though, that like it's 2023 now? I mean, that was less than like two years ago. Doesn't it feel like a thousand years Thousands. ago? Like, yes. It, it, yes. Especially here in, in Charleston. Like, you wouldn't even think, like, I always joke that Charleston's a little blue dot in a red state. But mm-hmm. nothing really kind of closed. It was like yeah. closed-ish. Like, you know, they took away a few tables and chairs. But if you if the, the difference between now and two years is so stark, even even without even full closures, but it just feels like it was another place. Like it, like we're in a living in a sci-fi movie and that yeah. was like an alternate reality. Oh, totally. And even when I have friends who live in New York and they came down here during, you know, probably that first year and like, I remember them looking just kind of like shell-shocked, one, oh, yeah. because it was like a ghost town. They were like, it's like walking zombies. People are just looking straight down with their masks on out everywhere they went. And they walk in and they're like, do we, so do we wear the mask to the table? Like, what do we, what do we do? And we're like, yeah, no. So here in Charleston, you wear the mask to the table. And then once you sit down, the COVID can't get you. Right, the linguine. So, yeah, 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 exactly. The food actually neutralizes the COVID. So you Everyone can take, that, yeah. yeah. So they hadn't figured that out up there yet. So we no. were ahead of the curve. But yeah, I agree. It was, it, it was, it feels like the twilight zone. And I know it was, we didn't completely close, but I can tell you this first few weeks where we had no information that is seared into my brain of just like, okay, well, we're just, you know, we're done. This is it. But we made it work. And like you said, everybody was like, this is, you. when you don't have an option, you're going to make it work. So kind of speaking of that, you've also hosted a podcast, the Forbes Books Podcast, where you chat with the best leaders in business who are making positive impacts in their industries. So like us, you discuss with these people kind of how they've overcome obstacles and and found success. What were some of the most memorable kind of obstacles and success stories that your guests shared with you? You know, one thing I like to share is that, so I came from a world of working in radio where I was interviewing entertainers. So, you know, artists, musicians, actors, and one of the things that I soon felt when I started working with Advantage Forest Books and interviewing these entrepreneurs, I had a bit of like imposter syndrome. I was like, what the hell am I going to say to an entrepreneur? What am I going to say to a person who built a multi-million dollar business, someone with an MBA? I don't know about any of this. But I soon realized that it's all the same shit. Like it's all people with a story to tell. And I feel like that's my one true gift and working in podcasting and doing what I do is like, I'm an avatar for the audience. I'm there asking the questions that the regular person who doesn't have the MBA, who hasn't built a multi-billion dollar business, who doesn't own anything, what they're going through. So I feel one of the things that the folks that, that come on the podcast enjoy is that I give them a platform to tell their story. So I love hearing the stories of like origin stories. I'm a big comic book superhero fan and i think yeah and i think the origin story of owners and ceos is so cool like some of them is like you know i went to school my parents gave me some money and then blah blah, blah. but i feel like 
No, it's just like I think there, there's such great stories behind businesses, and I think that's why they make great stories like movies. Like right now in theaters, as we're recording this, there's a movie about making a sneaker. Like the idea of the how Nike was built is now a movie. Now that's obviously a hyper aware story that a lot of people know about, but like there's a lot of great stories in business and that's what fascinates me. Just the behind the scenes of getting a business off the ground is just fascinating to me. Yeah. And it can be, it it can be so circuitous. Like, you know, a lot of people don't realize they're going into that, you know, that, that was the way it was for me. I mean, I went to law school and was like, you know, what I'd love to do is open a restaurant. So it, you know, it wasn't, it's this straight line. I think a lot of people don't necessarily go that way. So I agree with you. I find it fascinating and, and definitely it's a good, it's a good listen. So just Thank a you. little speaking, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of good listen, let's get into your new book, Good Listen, Creating Memorable Conversations in Business and Life. And in this book, you share stories featuring such superstars as Taylor Swift, Russell Crowe, Jennifer Aniston, John Mayer, and Chris Martin that demonstrate how the right communication skills can create magic moments on air in business and in relationships. What inspired you to write this book? So Todd, I was never one of these people and if you ask 10 people, probably nine of them are them that have a writing a book as on their bucket list. Like I was never that person. I was like, I never had delusions of grandeur that my life would be worthy of a book. But what happened was when I transitioned from working in radio to then producing and hosting podcasts with entrepreneurs, I realized that a lot of the skills that I'd honed and acquired and worked on during my 20 plus years in radio, most people don't have those. And I didn't even think twice about it. Like when I took the job, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to just do the same thing I was doing terrestrial radio. I'm just going to produce, prepare, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, no, these people don't know anything. They know how to (laughs) build businesses. They know how to manage people. They don't know how to do a podcast. And as I I started working with them, I was using all these stories I use in the book to to not name drop, but to sort of show a point in time that I learned from that moment. And when I went to the powers that be my publishing company, I said to them, if you guys ever interview comedians, when they talk to each other, they always say, is this a thing? Like, is this a thing? So I said to them, like, is this a thing? Is this like a book? Like, could this be a book? And they're like, yeah, this could be a book. And so I went and wrote it. And it was a really fast process. You know, obviously I have great editors and collaborators here at Advantage Forbes Books that made it really easy. But all of these anecdotes and, and lessons learned I was using on a daily basis with folks. So it was just all top of mind. Even though some of these stories go back 10, 20 years, they were all on top of mind because I was using them on a daily basis to help the folks I was producing podcasts for. Yeah. And I, I, th- I mean, I listened to the book just to get the full effect, oh. you know, oh, I, I wanted to, they no, no, it was, so it was long. amazing. It was, you know, obviously you've got somebody that's been on radio doing podcasts. I felt like it was only natural and it was, and it was, and I, I really enjoyed those anecdotes, especially, you know, how you completely pissed off Taylor Swift. That was one of my favorite ones. So definitely everybody go read it so that you can get yeah. the, the details, but it is those experiences that I think really, you know, a lot of people work through analogies, you know, that, that just in life, as far as, you know, understanding, because 
you can explain a concept all you want, but unless they have some kind of example of what that yeah. is, you know, it, it, it's just, a, it's very helpful. But overall, I felt like that kept you engaged in the book. So I don't, I didn't feel like name dropping at all because obviously you, you do interview these people that are, are, that's their, their whole job is to come out and promote what they're doing. And your job was to help them do that kind of our, what we're doing here too. So I, I, all around, I give it an an A plus. For those of our listeners that haven't listened to it, could you give us a little, tell us a little bit more about kind of some main tenets of that book and how our listeners could benefit from learning better communication skills in their own lives? Absolutely. And Laura, the one thing that I set out to when I started writing was I didn't want this to be a how to be a podcaster book because I feel, you know, the the, the word like expert gets thrown around a lot. And it, it, it's one of those words that always gave me like the heebie-jeebies. I still don't like to use it. but I wanted to write a book that could be helpful to people. And if you want to host a podcast, that's cool too. Because I feel like from my experience of working in terrestrial and podcasting, a lot of the the skills that are required to be very good are skills that make you a really good human when it comes to communicating mm. in the outside world, you know, listening to people, uh, asking questions at the right time. So I wanted to set it up in a way where these are all, lessons that I learned that not only made me a better broadcaster, podcaster, but they also made me a better human being. And that was important to me. So that was one of the things. So anyone who decides to read the book, if you have an interest in podcasting, you'll you'll find it helpful. But I, I really want it to be important for anyone who just want to be a better version of themselves. So if people out there have trouble concentrating during conversation or keeping interested or asking people the right questions. Maybe they're, they have a tough time communicating with people at work. I feel like this book can help anyone in all those situations and be a sort of just a helpful guy to just remind them that, Hey, a lot of these things may seem obvious to some, I remember just a word of advice, never read reviews, but this one, there's this one review, uh, the guy wrote, it's a good <laughs> book, but I felt like this, a lot of the points were obvious and it's, but it's good for younger people. And get I was, out of here. Yeah. Get out but, of here. Goodbye. But here's the funny thing, Todd. I said, as I was thinking to myself, I'm like, if they're so obvious, why are we so bad at listening? You know what I mean? <laughs> so if it's that obvious, it can't be that hot. You know, it's, it's, so we're, we're still pretty bad at it. And the idea that young people are worse at listening than old people is bullshit. Like, it, that's not true at all. Like, I'm guilty of it at times as well. I'm just more attuned to it. So when I'm not doing it, I have like a mental mini me inside my brain slapping me uh, across the face like Cher and, and, you know, Moonstruck that's saying snap out of it. (laughs) So it happens. But uh, the point of the book is to help people to be cognizant and intentional when it comes to listening and having conversations. Well, let's go a little bit deeper. You mentioned in your book, the relation to the success of Oprah as a talk show host. And so can you sort of elaborate on the importance of body language mirroring and using empathy to connect with others? Yeah. And I think, Todd, that draws perfectly with one of the things I'm super passionate about, and it's curiosity. I feel one of the reasons that we're bad listeners is because we lack curiosity. And Oprah's like the queen of curiosity. I mean, if you watched her one thing that was fascinating about Oprah is like one day she's talking to Julia Roberts and the next day she's talking to a single mom from Nashville. And the one thing that drove her and her success was she was curious about all these people, whether their net worth was in the millions or in the 
tens of dollars. And that's why she's the, she was so great and, and continues to be great because she could just talk to anybody. And that's what I strive for. I strive for the ability to have conversations with everyone. My wife was making fun of me the other day because we were visiting our friends and they have like teenage kids, but then there's like an 80 year old grandfather. And during that time I had 20 minute conversations with both of them. So it all comes back down to the fact that I'm curious about people and want to know more about them. And if you're curious, you will become a better listener. So I think that's what people are always like, how do I become a better listener? I'm like, well, if you don't care about something, you're not going to be a better listener. You could read my book. You could read the other 10,000 books that's all about active listening and concentration and distractions. But if you're not curious, you are not going to be a better listener. And so to your question, Todd, I think it's important that you have to be empathetic. You have to, you have to care because if you don't, you will not become a better listener. You will not have great conversations. So I think it's important to start with that. And I feel like this is something that was psychologically beaten down in us as kids. You know, I'm sure you've, you probably hear it today when you see a kid and a, and a dad talking and dad's like, oh, stop asking so many questions. And I think that happens to so many of us that it triggers us that later on in life, we're like, oh, I, I can't ask. I can't ask a person a question because many years ago, someone said I shouldn't ask questions. It's rude. It's, it's you know, it's annoying. And that's sort of the urge. We, we have to fight that five-year-old self of ours of being afraid to ask questions. And if you're able to do that, you will become better at being a better listener. I have a, a going off script here a little bit. I have a question for you. You know who I feel is the really, really good at being curious on air and giving great interviews is Howard Stern. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of want to get your, your, your take on that. I mean, he can get people to say things that they would never like, you know, for, for, did you see the interview with that he did with Hillary Clinton? I mean, no. she was, she would, you need to go on YouTube and look at it because yeah. it is, she's, she's a, it, it's, it's like what we wanted her to be when she was running. She was chill and he got her to talk about things that she's never talked about mm. and talking, you know, she loves want and talking about her wine drink. It was great. I'm yeah. telling you, but I just, I, do you, do you, how do you feel about him? Oh yeah. He, uh, he is on the pantheon of great interviews of all time. I mean, he's up there with Oprah, David Letterman. And I think if you listen to him, do an interview, you notice that there there's space. And I think that's one of the things that people, when they get into any kind of medium, whether it's podcasting, radio, television, they're afraid of leaving dead air. You know, one thing yeah. we used to call on radio is mm -hmm. like, we used to say, let it breathe. And he's not so worried about getting a funny quip in or waiting till the person, you know, one of the things I like to joke is like people in radio don't listen to anyone else. They just wait till the other person stops talking so they could say their funny thing. <laughs> and he is not like that. Like he's not waiting yeah. for them to end so he could say something. Funny. He's literally just listening to the person and, and really curious about what, what their lives went through. And obviously he's built such a reputation that people, open up to him almost instantly. There's not that like five, 10 minutes of small talk to get into it. Like people just jump into it, but we can all be like that. Like if we gain a reputation amongst our community, our family, our friends, our coworkers of being open and being empathetic and being great listeners, we can have that same effect in real life that people on television or radio like Oprah and Howard Stern have. It's just really about putting the time in and become better at doing so. No, no, I was just going to tell David Letterman's show, my next guest on Netflix, mm. his interviewing skills on that show 
it's it's different. It's almost a little different than when than when he was on his talk show because there is a, a tremendous, like you were saying, a tremendous amount of empathy that he gives uh, when he's interviewing his guests. But he also he's still having fun. It's it's great. Yeah. No, Letterman is all time interview, and I and I think you'll notice about with Letterman if you look back at his stuff on TV, and I think he's he's been pretty honest about this. Like when you're doing a talk show on network television and you've got two or three guests a night four or five days a week, there's going to be some people you don't want to talk to. And I'm sure, Dave, there were times where it's like, oh, God, I got to talk to the person who ended up as the runner-up on Survivor. Like, oh, I don't want to talk to this person. But he had to. And I think this show that he's doing on Netflix is a perfect example of, like, he's only talking to people he wants to talk to. He doesn't care about ratings or how many clicks this interview is going to get. He just wants to have these really cool talks with folks. And I think that's important for other people when it in real life, just be, you know, seek out those people that will fulfill you. And, and, and if those people that fulfill you are the ones that are listening. They're they're the ones who are compassionate. They're the ones who care about you. That's the people we want to be surrounded with in real life. Yeah. And I, I think that is kind of one of the beauties of like both him. I listened to him um, recently on Dak Shepard's podcast, armchair expert, and he was very open about uh, like his own, uh, he, he doesn't really like the word alcoholic, but his problems with alcohol and addiction mm. issues. And I think that that is kind of an important aspect that you bring up in the book about sharing is caring of mm. like that the more that you, people sometimes think if they talk too much about themselves, that they're going to, you know, drive away somebody else. Like that, that makes them seem like they're not listening to what they're saying, but really people will open up if you are open out of the gate, like Howard Stern, I mean, he's literally in no way guarded about his life or anything that's going on. So, you know, I think that that's a pretty big, sometimes I have been self-conscious about it because that is my way. I feel like of relating to people. Like if they say, Oh, this happened, I'm like, Oh, that happened to me too. And then, but once you like, after a little while you get that, that uh, bond between the two of you, and then you just start talking about anything and everything. Yeah. And so and I just, line you know, that, Laura. I, think that I think we all have that where we, we all have something we want to share that's similar to, but it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, you kind of have to use, uh, I mean, I, common really sense. Be, yeah. Just like being like, <laughs> Oh, maybe I won't have to, I don't have to add to every anecdote, you know, like not every story I have yeah. to tie into. There was this one young lady that worked on our morning show. I'll never forget this. No matter what happened in life, something like that happened to her or a friend. Like, you know, oh God. My, the one yeah, like my foot got caught in a cheese grater. Oh yeah. That happened to my cousin or, you know, uh, a, a car got stuck <laughs> on the moon. Oh my God. That happened to me last year. And she was totally <laughs> being completely honest, but it was just her DNA that everything <laughs> that happened to someone else happened to her. And I think we all experienced that. And I think it's all about just us knowing the temperature of the room. Like there's, there's only so many things you can tie into what the other person's saying. So, but again, Lord, you should yeah. never be hesitant to share your side of your life to have people open up. Because I think that's super important because like you said, you will get more people to become more honest, be open about themselves. If you show your deficiencies, your, your, your flaws. I mean, I've made a career out of self-deprecating humor. So I think it's super important to share yourself. So other people open up. Yeah, for sure. And one of the other things that you, one of the tips that you give that I really, really like is that, you know, whether you're podcasting or on the radio or just facing an important conversation, you like to say, be yourself, but at a spinal tap 11. So 
Could you explain to our listeners what you mean by that? Yeah. And so for anyone under 40, there was a movie called This is Spinal Tap from the early (laughs) 80s, which is the, you know how the office is? This was like a mockumentary. So it's about this sort of Mm -hmm. rundown 80s or 70s hair band. And it's just very funny. It's a classic comedy. It's probably one of the funniest movies of all time. But there's a scene in the film uh, where the guitarist is being interviewed and he's showing the filmmaker, uh, Rob Reiner, about his amps. And he goes, oh, this is my amp. And this one, you know how most amps go up to 10? This one goes up to 11. And the joke being, well, wh- if 11 is the highest, why don't you just make that 10 and then everything else the same? He goes, but this one goes to 11. <laughs> and I use this uh, example because I think we can all learn from that, especially when it comes to crucial conversations, important conversations we have in life, or if you professionally speak, you want to maintain your true self. You want to be yourself. You can't be something else. Uh, Todd, to use an example of Howard Stern. Howard Stern is Howard Stern on the air, off the air. When he's on the air, he's Howard Stern at 11. And that's just something that people to keep in mind. To think of yourself as a knob and when you're in public, to just crank it up a little bit. And what that does is it sort of just gives you sort of a, a mile marker or some sort of fence post to be like, okay, this is how I am in real life. But in this situation, I just got to crank it up just a little bit more. It doesn't mean putting on an act. It doesn't mean speaking louder or being more dramatic. <laughs> it means being yourself at the most heightened <laughs> self you can be without losing it. Yeah. Yeah, Todd doesn't mean just get louder, just so you know. You know what? Have several seats. Um, <laughs> so listen, um, <laughs> listen, like you, we we have interviewed a lot of actors, a lot of models, a lot of people in the entertainment industry, artists. And we found that when people originally went into theater or went into the entertainment industry, that it was when they were talking about their lives, sort of they it was sort of a form of escapism or pretending to be someone else. So in your journey as a performer and as a a film director, do you think that's why you originally went into the arts or did you go into the arts for a different reason? Well, Todd, I really don't have a lot of skills. Uh, I'm not very bright. (laughs) You have really emphasized that today. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not that smart. Um, No, I, I will say the reason I think I love the arts is, I've always sort of been, and then this sounds really cheesy. The only thing that, one of the few things that really bring me a lot of joy is to make someone laugh or smile. And I feel, I've always felt like there's not many lines of work that let you do that. And that's why I think entertainment's like the greatest job in the world. It's like you get paid to make people feel better about themselves. And so I think that's one of the things that sort of drove me into a career in show business, working in radio, performing sketch comedy in New York, making films. And I just want to like entertain people. And I think we could all do that in our everyday lives. I mean, just going out of your way and saying a nicety to someone goes such a long way. Like when someone always, when I go to a restaurant, someone says to me like, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm awesome. How you doing? And it like automatically like their radar, just like, Whoa, wait, wait a minute. Wait, you're supposed, you're not supposed to react like that to me. You're supposed to just like, just like ignore me and just like ask for the menu. And those little things that I feel like I do on an everyday basis, if more and more people did that, we would, it would be such a nicer world to live in. And this is not something I've stumbled upon or something I've read books on. It just, it's always been part of my DNA. And I remember as a kid, my mom always said to me, like, I don't care what you do for a living. I just want you to be good to other people. 
And the way I'm good to other people is by either making them laugh, making them smile, or making them feel better about themselves because that's about all I can do, guys. Well, I think you need to give yourself a little more credit, but I will say you were, as Todd says all the time, God is fair, and he gave you a very good voice. So I think that it worked out. But overall, I think that you've, it's almost like you're living life at 11. And mm. and that is, you know, whether it's to be on the radio or whatever, you know, I think that you're kind of taking your own advice mm. on a daily basis. And that that's, you know, I think that's an important thing to do. Walk the walk or, yeah. you know, whatever that saying is, but you walk have, the walk, talk the talk. I don't know. Oh yeah. One of those, oh, yeah. but you, you did say that one of the major obstacles you face in your life is kind of keeping everyone happy while moving 5,000 miles an hour. And I can really relate to that. I'm sure that Todd can as well as we, we always have a million projects going on at once. So I'd love your advice is how do you kind of cope with that? Yeah, I, I think this all ties into self-awareness and I write about it in the book and there's this really great commencement speech that I talk about and it's and it's all about self-awareness. So I would suggest people read it in the book or, or look it up. And I think self-awareness is one of the things that we're all lacking. I think we are always so far in our own heads. We're only thinking about what's going on, what the next thing we're going to do that we forget the world that's around us. And one of the things that I've always prided myself, it's always knowing what other people are feeling. Like if someone in your life just has a little, like there's something just a little bit off, like I could be attuned to that. And, and it's only because I'm try to be incredibly self-aware of my surroundings. And, and I think that's a thing that we all kind of battle through, but I think that's how we can just make the people in our own lives feel more important by picking up on cues, knowing what people are feeling or thinking without them actually saying something to you. Perfect example of self-awareness I like to joke about is, and Laura, you know, this is living in Charleston. You could be on Sullivan's Island. It could be completely empty, just you and your partner. And then all of a sudden a family of 15 comes up and puts their umbrella right next to yours, even though there's an empty beach. Yeah. <laughs> this is an extreme case, but I think a lot of people live their lives. And I, I'll be honest with you, that does happen. But yeah. <laughs> that, that's an it example does. of people lacking self-awareness that there's this giant beach, but I don't even know that there's two other people sitting here, so I'm going to put my umbrella next to them. So self-awareness is a huge thing. And I think that's what's helped me, even though I'm juggling dozens of podcasts, I'm trying to do different creative projects, is just making sure that I'm aware of what's going on in the lives of the people I care most about. And I think it's, it's just, to me, it's always been super important and something that, you know, I have to work on constantly because like you said, Laura, we, we, we're sometimes moving so fast that we forget just the, the banalities in life and just get caught up in all of it. But just being self-aware, I think is super important. And I think it's also great for being a better conversationalist because you could pick up on cues. You can know what people are feeling. You can have, sort of ride that wave and, you know, start things off softer and then working your way up to harder things. I always say like when you're having a conversation or when you're doing an interview, think about a pool, like you're, you're starting at the baby end and working your way to the deep end. But to be able to do that, you have to be self-aware of, of how shallow the water is or how deep the water is. And just concentrating about that, I think is important for anything, whether it comes to relationships at home or at the office. 
And being present. I mean, you're so present, even in this conversation. But I wonder, I want to ask you, do you ever get still? Are you ever able to be just no, no talking, all quiet, meditative? Does that, is that in your real world at all? Yeah, I mean, I will say I love uh, I love a good Netflix binge. I, I I'm I, I'm one of these people. I'm an old school entertainment person that mm-hmm. when I'm watching a movie or TV show, the phone is off. That's why oh, I, I can't yeah. even go to movie theaters anymore because it drives me crazy that people, people spend screaming twenty dollars and they've got their phone on the entire. Oh my time. gosh! Or, yeah. or when you're in a horror film and they're like, "He's behind you," and you're like. <laughs> They yeah, can't there's hear other you. people. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I to me when I'm I try to be 100% in everything I do. So if I'm reading a book, watching TV, watching a movie, I try to just live in the moment and just do my thing. There are times where I'll be out with my wife and we have a, a an annoying 2-year-old dachshund and she's like, "You know, take a photo." I'm like, "I don't want to take a photo. I don't want to take my phone out now. I just want to kind of enjoy this moment right now." Yeah. So it's the little things that I, I'm able to be still and just sort of just take in without having to chronicle or, or talk about, or just let, let things be, you know, a great example of that is like, if you watch a sporting event and something really cool happens and the announcer doesn't say anything for like 20 seconds, that's because there's no words. There's no need to fill in that space. You know, there's people jumping on top of each other. There's confetti flying. There's people crying. There's nothing you could say to fill up that space. So sometimes just like being able to just like take it all in, is probably better than just saying anything. <laughs> yeah, I really like that because it, it is, I'm the same way about, I, I don't know why it, it's like just followed me, the the phone thing. Like I thought that that used to be like the the main thing that came on mm. after you went through the roller coaster of popcorn when you're in the movie theater and then it was like, and turn off your phone. And then like yeah. people are literally like sitting there texting and I'm like, I'm sorry, this is like the main rule. Like yeah. you're not supposed to be doing that. And I feel like it's the only place that it's still left. So we need yeah. to save that at all costs. Well, well and I feel in that Laura with that is like, I think technology is, is one of the reasons we're really bad at communicating. It's mm. because of the fact that we have these really short interactions. It's all sort of very passive and you're just kind of just like doing seven things at once while you're writing a text and stuff like that. Well, it's the and, attention spans, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and, and it just, it, it does it worse, it worse and worse. And that's why I think we have to be more intentional in our real life interactions. It's like, if you have a short attention span, like you're talking about Todd, maybe just put, keep that phone in your pocket or keep it in your <laughs> purse. Like just don't, don't give yourself the opportunity to be distracted at that moment. And I don't want to be the old man shouting at the clouds. Yeah. Like, I love technology. I love my phone. I love scrolling through Twitter. But there's a time and place for doing all of that. The problem is people think there's the time and place is all the time and place. So I think you just have to be more aware of like, hey, listen, give that thing a rest. We have yeah. a group. Of, I have a group of friends here. When we go out to dinner, we all put our phones in the middle of the table. And the first person to pick up their phone has to pay the bill. And oh, so – Nobody touches their phone. Your friends are <laughs> still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll still hang out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that 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 is uh, it's a huge thing for me because you know, obviously, if I, especially if I'm with my kids, then I know there's not some kind of emergency that is happening that you know that would make me have to check my phone just because I'm not with them. But when I'm with them, it's like that's a reminder that you don't have to. There's nothing that is more important than that. And, and that has helped in a lot of ways. But I think if the rest of the world took that, that, that advice that things would, this would be a better place. Oh, so, yeah. and one of my pet peeves, Laura, is the fact that people have sound notifications on their phone. Oh yeah. I thought I'm we got like, rid of that. You're on your phone 
like 90% of the day, why do you need something else to remind you to look at your phone? And yeah. I know I'm, su- I'm super oversensitive about this because for a living, I have to be recording mm-hmm. in a quiet space. And, you know, in the, in the radio, when I worked in radio, like if your phone went off, it, it's like, you know, it's like the 10th commandment you're breaking. But it's it's amazing that people still have sound notifications, like even on their laptops and stuff like you really need something to tell you to look at the computer. Like we're always looking at these screens. Why do you need something else to tell you to look at your screen? It boggles my mind. Yeah, totally agree. Well, I'd also like to, I mean, you're just a fountain of wisdom. So I would love to know kind of what your take would be as a fellow podcaster, what you you think would be the most important advice you could give us as fledgling podcasters. Uh, Well, I get this aversion. Fledgling even. Yeah. (laughs) She really leaned into that. Fledgling. We just started. You know, Todd, she's working on that self-deprecating humor. Yes. It's slowly coming out. Great job, Laura. I get this aversion to this question asked a lot because obviously I'm working with folks who who are trying to grow their presence online with, with podcasts. And unfortunately, the answer I always, I give to people is not great. And it's basically, if you want to be a podcaster, make money off of being a podcaster, do a thousand episodes before you see a nickel. And then if by a thousand podcasts, nothing comes of it, then you have to sort of renegotiate your relationship with a podcast. The example I always say is, you know, Joe Rogan didn't get a $100 million deal from Spotify because one day he woke up after getting concussed in the UFC. Hey, I want to start a podcast. Can I get a hundred million dollars? No, he did almost 2000 episodes before they wrote that giant check. So and I think that's super important for people, not even just podcasting, Laura, but like people who want to be social media influencers or mm-hmm. content creators. They're, everyone is so quick to just pull the plug on something if they don't have the immediate dopamine hit of likes and follows and, and shares. And if you're doing anything creative, the likes and follows and all that stuff should be the last thing on your mind. And I know it's hard. And trust me, it is hard but you're never going to be able to get out of your own head if that's at the end of the day, your goal, like to get like yeah. X number of likes. And I've talked to, as you guys know, I speak to people in all different business verticals. I speak to people in the social media influencer space. And I always ask them, I'm like, Hey, listen, I know you get this question. How do you answer this question? This question I just answered. And to a person, they say the same thing I just said, you just got to keep doing it. I spoke to this social media influencer. She's a healthy girl kitchen on TikTok and Instagram Mm. has like 8 million followers. And I said to her, I'm like, you must get this question all the time. And she's like, yeah. And the thing is with most people that she talks to is that after two or three days and they only see that they've only gotten like five likes, they quit. And when she started her project, she was doing a blog and she just slowly but surely created what I like to say is a community. When people are starting out any kind of creative endeavor, the word audience, the A word, take that out of your mind. Don't think about things as an audience. An audience is a monolith. It's faceless. It's unidentifiable. A community you can describe. It's it's a tangible thing. So for Healthy Girl Kitchen, it was young women trying to live a green lifestyle. And, and she leaned in hard on that, creating content for young women who wanted content related to a vegan diet. Well, almost eight years later, she got 6 million followers. Eight years it took her to get to that. And now her full-time job is making content, writing cookbooks, and she's doing very well. And I use this example because I think it's important for people to remember 
we're all so obsessed with the overnight success and things happening quickly that we lose track of the fact that there's the old 10,000 hours, you know, Malcolm Gladwell thing where, you know, you need 10,000 hours to, to master something. I was just thinking about this the other day, Pedro Pascal, who's in the last of us and the Mandalorian, he's everyone's hot guy at the moment. Yeah. And people are like, where did this guy come from? You know where he came from? He's been acting in shitty movies and TV shows for 20 years. Yeah. And now he has <laughs> overnight success. So think about that when it comes to your sort of relationship with what success means or what a happy life means is sometimes you just got to put in the work and, and a lot of times it could work, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. But at the end of the day, and I tell this to all the people I consult and coaches, you've got to love what you're doing. If Todd and Laura, if you're doing this podcast and it sucks and it's like, why are we doing this? Oh, I got to talk to this guy, Joe Partavilla. What the hell is he going to say? Like, if that's your attitude towards any kind of creative endeavor, don't do it. People pay yeah. me to produce their podcast. And I say, I don't want your money if you don't like doing this. And I go above and beyond to make sure that they do enjoy it. But if you don't like that creative thing, no one out there is going to like it. No one's going to like it more than you. It's like going back to entrepreneurs and CEOs. No one is going to care about the company as much as that founder, entrepreneur, CEO than the, than the consumer. Think about your art that way. That part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm going to take literally I cannot wait to finish your book because I you you have so much wisdom you've done so many things we are so happy that you came on the show today we're so grateful to you for coming on the show today when I'm in Charleston we'll all have to get together at Laura's restaurant and have a beer and put okay. our phones in the middle of the table yes exactly yes. exactly but we do have a tradition on this show before we let you go we do a question of the day because typically we talk about some really really heavy stuff. And so it's just kind of like a palate cleanser. So the question- Are you trying to say this stuff wasn't heavy? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it, it, was, it, <laughs> it was in its it was, own way. It, 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 it's it's right, definitely- Laura, a terrible actress. You, I, know, you've had, I know. You've had a lot of mic drop moments today for me yes, personally. Yes. There's been a lot of like aha moments. A lot as to as, absorb, but in a good way. You yeah. Know? It's, the, the wheels are turning. But the question of the day for you would be, would you rather have the ability at all times- to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? Hmm. I would say, since I like to live in the moment, I would say 10 minutes in the future because, man, 150 years, like, I don't think I'm going to know anybody. Like, like everyone <laughs> I love is going to probably be dead, and it's going to be, like, grandkids or granduncles and nieces and nephews. Like, I don't care about them. So I'm thinking that I'm, it's a possibility that knowing stuff 10 minutes in the future can be helpful for the yeah. people in my life and myself. And then also I can take a quick trip to Las Vegas and, and mm -hmm. make a few bucks uh, with that knowledge. Yeah. Ooh. I would take the 10 minutes in the future. The one thing that I wish Todd, you gave me a little more than 10 minutes because I wouldn't be able to play the Powerball because they usually close that two yeah. hours before the drawing. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you gave me those choices, those are very extreme opposites there. I'll, I'll do the 10 minutes in the future. I think that's a great answer. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like really who it would be really depressing if you like could look at 150 years in the future and just, it's nothing just like desolate. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Look at, yeah. Or like politically what happens in the future or like, you know, I mean, it's yeah, just, how are you going to change who wants, it? Who wants that? to know? Yeah. I think, yeah. think 150 is <laughs> too long. I think if, if it was like 20 or 30, cause then you'd be like, if you said to me like 20 years, I'm like, hell yeah. I'd like to know to invest in Google or, yeah. or Apple yeah. or Amazon. Mm -hmm. Like, Yes. Give yes. me that 150. I'm like, man, 
that ain't gonna affect me. It's like people who who, who react to climate change. I'm like, ah, who cares? I'm gonna throw this cannon that's not in recycling into the garbage because I don't care what happens 100 years from now. So I think 150 years is way too long, Todd. Yeah, that's too much of the long game there. <laughs> well, Joe, once again, we are just we're thrilled. We're so happy to have yes, you. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, oh, we would. Absolutely. We would yeah, love no, to have you back. Having you guys, it's, to me, I always, I always feel like a poser when I'm a guest on a podcast because I'm like, what am I going to say to these people that would be helpful? So I hope you guys a lot took away <laughs> something from it. You know, maybe people listening weren't too put off by my obnoxious energy, but uh, I appreciate wow. the invite. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been a blast chatting with you guys, and hopefully, we could do it again one of these days. That sounds amazing. We can't wait to have you back. We hope you have a great rest of your afternoon and, you know, everybody out there, go get good listen and remember to live your life at 11. So what did you think? Oh, well, I feel like I am living at 11 right now. I am. I just thought it was great. He's so cool. I had no idea he was in Charleston either. I mean, I don't know how I missed that, but, you know, I think that he is kind of my hero now. I even told him before we started, I was a little bit intimidated because he's done, he has so much podcast experience, radio. I was so obsessed with radio when I was a kid. Like I used to make fake radio stations and stuff in school and do like fake little commercials and stuff like that. And then, you know, I just eventually got to a point where I was like, I don't think that's going to be really a a, a career for me, but mm-hmm. of, here we are, you here know, here we are. Here we are. You know, it's not necessarily a career, but it, listen, it might be after a it thousand. It may be a thousand. Uh, <laughs> a, thousand, thousand. a thousand episodes will be will be ready to go. <laughs> yeah, then we can quit everything. First of all, he was fascinating. I could listen to him talk. I could listen to him read. I was going to say the phone book. Do we even have a phone book anymore? I <laughs> read know, Google. But I could read him. Yeah, you could read Google. Or <laughs> you, you could read, read Google. Just a list of numbers. <laughs> or or his book, Good Listen, which I am going to give a good listen to. <laughs> he did admit that he does a lot of self-deprecation, but that was one of the draws of of listening to the book was that he reads it. So it's in his voice and it's got, you know, he doesn't do like weird characters or anything, which I kind of appreciated. It was just him and, and that nice soothing radio voice. So it, and it really is, it's such a good book and it's quick. Like if you, you know, it's not, he doesn't go into, doesn't get really boring or, or, it, you keep you are engaged the whole time because of those stories that he mentioned the, with with people like John Mayer and and you know Chris Martin. It, it's the I mean, life the that he, has he was led. on an interview this morning with Ashton Kutcher. I was like, I'm going to yeah. live through you right now. So yeah, he just kind of uh, dropped that as we were starting, and I was like, Oh yeah, me too, totally. I was talking to <laughs> Mila Kunis earlier. It was great. Yeah, I'm oh kind fabulous. Right? But no, he just like I think that all of his. Tips in this interview were great, but I do encourage everybody to read the book because it really does help see that how much you respond and engage with people can really affect your relationships with those people. Exactly. And what he talked about with self-awareness. Yeah. Because we all know those people that are literally like looking at you and just waiting for you to stop talking so they can say what they've been waiting to say this whole time. And you're just like, why am I even here? Like what, what is my <laughs> or, purpose? Or the, the, anal- 
or in the analogy when he was on the beach, like the person oh, yeah. who just comes and sits right next to you. I think everybody listening to this podcast right now can can relate to that moment. When I'm on the cruise ship and I've like done my show, you know, when once people know who you are, you kind of can't leave your room and people like want to talk to you and all the time. Oh, yeah. so sometimes if I'm just having a, one, a very quiet day, I'll go into the corner with my food and eat and there will be a plethora of tables all over the deck and someone every single time will come and sit right next to me. And See, I, always, a- I always chalk that up to like people being lonely <laughs> or something, but now I'm I, knowing people. They're just unaware. Unaware. They just have to be completely unaware because that's uncomfortable for everybody. Like, especially on the beach. Come on. Like we came I out mean, here to relax. There's a whole beach. <laughs> it's a whole beach, guys. <laughs> Just but look yeah, around. I mean, his Uncertain Times podcast with all those CEOs and business leaders was just, I stumbled upon that on the flight back here to LA from Charleston. And I listened to like four or five of them. And he is, he literally, if you get, if you have uh, time guys, go on to go and listen to it because it's very interesting how everybody was pivoting <laughs> during the pandemic. And I was actually, Todd, you'd be, be kind of proud of me. I actually finished the entire episode of the other, the Forbes books podcast he's on that is the interviewing people that have had obstacles and overcome them. And it's not as, as focused on like necessarily the pandemic or, or any of that, mm-hmm. but similar idea. And it was this guy talking about, and he's like a fortune 500 dude and talking about how his business was changed by TikTok. And this man is like in his late fifties and he's just like embraced TikTok. And I was like, oh my God, now I'm going to have to do this. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to really? get us on TikTok. Oh, yes. Good. I mean, I'm already making the reels. I might as well just, just put, put them, them on, TikTok. on there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So go follow and us on TikTok. By the time this is out, we will have a exactly. million followers. And we'll have video now. Yeah, I have yeah. to tell you, his answer shocked me about the question of the day. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought some, you know, he's, he's so fascinated with pop culture and he, you know, he knew so. And so I thought maybe he would want to see what's going on 150 years. He's like, hell no. <laughs> I don't want to know no, what's I going on. I think this was more of a logistical answer of like, what will be most valuable to me in this moment? <laughs> While I'm on the planet. <laughs> but see, I, I, I feel like that would be extremely distracting because I was thinking about this earlier that if like you're constantly seeing what happens 10 minutes, it's like anything you do could alter like the next 10 minutes. So you've got to keep seeing like that over and over again. That Maybe would drive me caveat. You can only do it once a day. <laughs> okay. Once a day. Hmm. I think, I think it would have, maybe it would be 10 minutes then. If it's once a day, I would do 10 minutes because inevitably there would be something that I could maybe one day out of 20 or whatever that it, it it works to your advantage. Whereas I don't know when like 150 years would necessarily work to your advantage, but I would be cool to see if there's it's like just actually out of, like out of, flying cars and stuff. It's out of curiosity more than anything. Yeah. I think. yeah. Just, just what is going on? Are we all dead? Are the dinosaurs back? What's happening? Yeah. Like, but that That's the thing too. What if like you look at 150 years and it's once a day and it's just the same thing. Of like nothingness. Like that would be kind of depressing. <laughs> You're just like, oh, great. Oh, God. Maybe it makes you enjoy the today better though. You know, like being more present. More, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. 10 minutes might be a little too distracting. That was my 
my thinking, but do you, you think 150? Yeah, I think so. Just just because I'm curious, but ten minutes would probably be probably be more valuable. I guess, <laughs> you know? but you never know. Maybe if you see like that, we are gonna be on Mars or something. Then you can start preparing now for your grandchildren. Because yeah. I, I, you know, he was pretty pretty much made it clear he doesn't care about them. But I might, <laughs> like maybe Isabel might still be kicking. Especially with modern medicine. So well, I yeah, might care. They're trying to figure out that gene that so we don't age. <laughs> oh, well. It, but do they like do that when you're like a baby? Like in – how does that work? We got to look that know. up. That's that's crazy. Joe Pardavila, you were awesome, sir. We very much enjoyed having you on the program. I hope to see you the next time I'm in Charleston so we can all get together and just toast to this wonderful podcast. And he has definitely sparked my curiosity. Oh, look at that. Bringing it back. And we hope this episode was a good listen. Yes. (laughs) all right i love you love you too (laughs) we'll see see you you next time Bye. bye